Welcome to Man Talk, a podcast that's normalising the conversation about men's mental health. This show, as ever, is produced in support of the charity Calm, which is the campaign against living miserably. If you need their help, please visit their website or call them on their free line number between 5 and midnight on 0800 58 58 58. I'm your host, Jamie Day, and you can find me on Instagram at a day in the life dad, and you can read more about my own experiences with mental health on my blog, a day in the life dad.com. This week, I'm with Simon Hooper. Many of you will know Simon from Instagram as Father of Daughters, aka FOD. Simon is married to Clemmy and they have four girls. I met Simon in a pub in Ballum where he was doing an event for his new book, Forever Outnumbered. We talk all things parenthood, in particular the anxiety when becoming a father for the first time, plus the pressures of social media and the different support and ways of coping that are out there for men. So here we are, this is Man Talk. Simon. Hello. Welcome Hi. To, welcome to Man Talk. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. And I'm so happy you, you flew in from Denver today just for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, um, I'm really, you know, touched by that. Just joking. You're, we're in Ballum in a pub and Simon's doing a book event tonight. Yeah, I'm hoping not to fall asleep halfway through it because yeah, I've, yeah. I've got no idea what time of the day it is at the moment. Act. To adjust to the time zone and then come home. Yeah, we're, you know, having a nice beer and we're obviously here on Man Talk to talk about uh, men's mental health. And the reason I was interested in Simon was because about... Two months ago, mm-hmm. Simon put out an Insta story and he was mentioning that he wasn't sure if there was much support out there. Yeah, it was more about the visibility of men's support as well. I think we all struggle sometimes, yeah. but men traditionally aren't great at vocalizing that or looking for help. Um, so I was really just trying to find out what was out there. And because I've got a big platform, it's a great way of kind of highlighting those things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was my, my first exploration into that kind of area. I saw that story. and was like, oh, just hold off, hold off, you know, another couple of months and I'm coming out with a podcast, you know. So, <laughs> the support is there. No, more seriously, I, when I saw this from you, I felt this, this obviously means something to him. This is him reaching out and asking what support is out there for men. And I thought, right, he's going to be ideal further down the line for Man Talk. So here we are and spoken a little bit before we've met today Yeah, and we've talked briefly about anxiety. So I think growing up I was a relatively confident kid. I, I was well supported by my family and I didn't really have any worries in my life and everything was going well. I'd been through university and then this bombshell was dropped on my life which was a surprise child <laughs> and that kind of turned things upside down for me relatively quickly because I didn't know what to do. It was the first situation in life where I'd really been presented with something where I knew nothing about what was going to happen in the next nine months and all the years that going onwards as well. I really struggled to come to terms with the fact that I was going to be a dad at 24 when I saw, yeah, and I saw all my friends living their lives. They'd gone off and started their new jobs and they were spending their money the way that they wanted to. And my life had taken a different direction. And I I struggled to wrestle with that for a while and it made it difficult for me to come to terms with the fact that this my life was going to change and I wasn't going to live the life that I thought I was going to and go off and do the traveling stuff and you know have time just to be me and Clemmy because we'd been together for 18 months at that point maybe right, okay so this is pretty um, yeah yeah we, we were we didn't hang about we moved in together and I think two months later we found out we were going to be having a baby there was a big adjustment and also in that stage none of my friends had had children so I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it and that was the other thing that was quite alienating Um, I did speak to my parents and one of the biggest nervous points for me was actually telling my parents at that age I think when you get to 30 35 and you go to them with the news that you're having a kid 
it's all yay great excellent but I wasn't that age and I was worried that I disappointed them in some way um, and so when I actually managed to tell them I remember my dad walking over to me and putting his arm out and I thought he, he's going to punch me no way but it was, a, it was a firm handshake and a hug to say, that's fantastic. We'll support you in everything you're doing. And that was the first part where I felt like it wasn't just me. And that sounds really selfish because obviously Clemmie was going through the same kind of anxieties and worries. But when you have those anxieties and worries, they're not a group thing. They're an, in, they're an individual yeah. thing to you. And yeah, so having that support of someone you love and you respect suddenly made things a little bit easier to deal with. What did you notice change? Was there any physical signs? Was it anxiety? Would you ever see a doctor and have it diagnosed as anxiety? I, I don't think it had got to that stage. It was more about the fact that I wasn't willing to talk about it openly. Okay. And this is a common occurrence in my life with lots of other things that have happened as well. So we can talk about those in a little bit. But I didn't feel like I could talk to Clemmie about some of the things that I was worrying about because... If, if I looked weak, then maybe that would mean that, I don't know, I wasn't up to the challenge. Um, but I think the more I've spoken about this and the more I've met dads that go through this the first time, I realize it's a really common struggle common, that people yeah. go through. And it's not postnatal depression or whatever you might want to call it, but it's a, it's a common thing and men aren't great at talking about it. We tend to bury our heads in the sand yeah. and we'll just think, well, if we don't talk about it, then the problem will go away. Yeah. But some of those things really manifest for a long period of time and it can impact the way that you parent as well when your child actually shows up because you can resent them for being around and I'm glad that I managed to deal with that before Anya showed up so that's what I was going to ask did, did, did you deal with it in those nine months and then yeah so you didn't suffer with anxiety once she once she was around no I, and this is uh, it's a different different kind of situation so the, the way that I dealt with it was by throwing myself into it I think when I finally knew that I had the support of those around me and that I wasn't looked as like an outcast or that I'd done something wrong or uh, that was the moment where I felt like okay right I, I need to put myself into this so we went to the antenatal classes and I started reading books and I got involved and I understood what was going on and things started to get less scary um, because that's the thing it's, 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 it's being scared of the unknown yeah um, so finally when I got round to it and kind of asked questions that was when I started to come to terms with what was happening and, and Clemmie and I found a way of actually talking to each other as well and being open and honest about stuff because neither of us thought we should be saying that we're, we're scared or worried but we both were and we didn't say it for a you know a period of two months right, so and then two we, months of the nine yeah we were like kind both. of pretending that it was all okay, all okay. Uh, but then finally admitting who broke first I think it was Clemmy, right. but then it let the floodgates open for me because I was, I was just generally petrified. Yeah. Um, and but but being and I had this weird assumption. I'm married to a midwife, so therefore everything's going to be okay. Yeah. She'll know everything about She'll it. She'll know everything. She can you know, do it yeah. all. Um, but that's not the case, obviously. And also, midwifery only gets you to the point of delivery. It has no, it doesn't teach you how to be a parent or anything yeah. like that. So that was the that was the kind of secondary worry. Like, what kind of dad am I going to be? I didn't know and I've, I'm still learning who I am now yeah. but I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm doing the best that I can for my children and no one is perfect and we're all going to mess up on a daily basis and make decisions that are probably wrong and make some that are right but that's okay and I'm, I'm okay with that now your way of dealing was it to throw yourself into it and have the sport around you which yeah. the sport around you is pretty much the the main 
way of dealing with most mental health issues. Exactly. Whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever yeah. it is, the support of family or friends or a charity, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. So you have you had Clemmy and you had your parents. Yeah. And I had my friends as well. I think they originally they were like wow that's amazing and then they kind of carried on with their lives yeah when it got closer to the delivery date and when Anya actually turned up then they were really supportive in in their way yeah. obviously a bit it, about well them. yeah if you're a 24 year old guy I mean I, and you don't have kids or you've not been around kids then there's only a certain way you can yeah. like, which was like bringing around a four pack of beer or something like that yeah which is nice but then it was it was the other people who would come around and drop things off to the house and not say anything and just send us a text to say we've left you a bag with some food in that was the stuff that made a real difference yeah. to our kind of stability because we didn't have to worry about going out and doing stuff and getting food and like trying to balance everything because we had the support of others and i realized that's not available to everyone um but if you have it, then you've got to tap into it. Sure. And then after Anya was born, and do you think you went on then fine? You didn't return back to those ways or well, I think creep the, back in at all? Well, there's the, the, the immediate effect after having a child is then going to paternity leave and then going back into work knowing that you've got a responsibility at home. That's you just have the two weeks and then head straight back. Two weeks and then yeah. straight back. And balancing, making that shift of balancing whereas previously I could go out for a drink after work and all that kind of stuff and now I've got responsibilities at home and at work and I'm not getting much sleep how am I going to get this right and that took a long time to work out yeah. like where the priorities should lie because obviously you feel like you should be present at home and doing everything you can but you realize that you've got to go and earn a wage to look after the family as well yeah. and with Anya it was it was a really difficult time because I just moved to London and Annie was five weeks old, and Clemmy and I had um, rented a basement flat in Hernhill, and I'd been seconded to a project in uh, Holland. So I flew out on a Monday, came back on a Friday, and I did that for four months. So I actually wasn't around for a long period of time, and Clemmy got quite bad postnatal depression, and I hold my hands up, and I, I think that was, I contributed to that by not being around, but I, I didn't feel like I was in a place where I could say no. I was new to the job, I was a fresh grad and they've asked me to do something I've, I've got to go and do it and I wish at that point I'd probably had the strength to say no yeah. that's not right that's not the right priority for me and my family but I just didn't feel like I was in that position where I could do it and your company didn't sort of understand you've just had a baby kind of thing and I think they maybe I just didn't talk about it that much right. I don't think I, I I was I was willing to do anything you know you when you start a new job you want to impress you want to be I don't want to turn up on the first day and say by the way I can't travel and if I'd maybe if I'd been 30 and the same situation had occurred and I joined a new company and they said you, we need you to go on to comment then I would have said actually no I can't do that but I I didn't have that experience I didn't know and that put Clemmy in a bad place she was living in a, a dark basement flat in the winter didn't know anyone in the neighbors or anything and she had a five-week-old baby yeah and that put an enormous pressure on her so i wish if i could go back in any time in my life to if think about the impact that i had on someone else's mental health then i would have made a different decision at that point did that impact your relationship as you know with your daughter I, well i'm it's hard to answer because i don't know Anya and i have a very special bond now and her and i are very similar so i can spend a lot of time talking to her and in a grown-up way but if anything it made me throw myself more into Marnie and the twins and being around and being present and making sure I can do anything to help maybe that's the way that I'm 
repenting for what I did. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, it probably is. Yeah. Maybe if I'd been around a little bit more in those first four months, maybe things might have been different. Maybe we might have made different decisions. I don't know. And I can't go back in time and change those things. But yeah, it's weird to think about. Because that's what I was going to ask. Those anxious feelings return when you had baby two and then the twins. Do you know what they've eased as the time has gone by? Although twins is a different kettle of fish altogether. Well, so that was a buy one, get one free offer. We were kind of like, no one plans for twins, do they? And is there any history of twins? Well, there is. But I found out after Clemmie told me we were having twins. So the right. twins are on her side of the family. And um, so that, that, was, that was another thing to be concerned about. Because we really thought, okay, we, we can do one at a time. But two, like how, how do we make that work? Like, and the only way that we could make it work is, is teamwork. You have to rely on the other person in your relationship to be able to balance everything. Uh, and so it took a lot, of, a lot of trying and testing stuff to make it work. Yeah. And we're still figuring it out now because there's no end to the new challenges that come along with twins as they develop now they've just started to get language which means they can argue with us so yeah i know my son is two and a half and yeah yeah do you want this no <laughs> and then two minutes later he'll get cross because you didn't give it to him anyway so exactly obviously you're famous for your your kids and the twins through instagram in previous episodes in with the other guys i've spoken to despite Instagram and social media in general having sort of negative uh, feedback because of you know bullying and yeah. trolling and things like that and it can make it can be a very lonely place yeah everyone I've spoken to kind of said that the community they feel part of has been great for their, their mental health yeah it's been an avenue to reach out to other people and connect and one guy I, I spoke to he actually uses his captions just to like write down his thoughts when he's feeling low so this is exactly why I started right, okay. Instagram. It was to show, no one was talking about dad perspective yeah. on, on parenting. It was lots of mums talking to mums and all agreeing with each other, which is nice because you get positive reinforcement. But I was looking over Clemmy's shoulder and there were no dads in the conversation. We're 50% of the parenting team and we were, weren't represented. So that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to inject some humor. Humor is a defensive mechanism for me, by the way. So yeah, yeah. comedians, you know, they'll say, you know, Stephen Fry, for example. Yeah. Happy to talk about his depression, but he'll also then go and make thousands of people laugh. Exactly. So. Right. So that's the same thing as I do, because I pick the mundane things that happen in my life and I talk about them in a humorous way because I like poking fun at myself and talking about them in a funny way because if you can't laugh at this stuff then you would just cry and that's my way of dealing with the stresses of the day I actually use Instagram as a therapy my social life if I if I'm honest my social life has contracted as I've had more and more children because your time is dedicated to your children yeah is it which existent yet not yet but I, I can see a day okay. in the near future where there will you know might be a point where i'm not talking to any other adults it might happen who knows but what i do have is this outlet this it's therapy because i'm talking to a group of eight hundred and fifty thousand people who can say you know what I have that problem yeah. or I completely understand with you or have you thought about this and making suggestions and I have this outlet that not is available to many people I know but as a community on Instagram I think there are many positives to be able to share struggles and to get ideas input from others who have been through the same thing yeah. and just to be able to come together as a group and solve a problem rather than just bottle it up as you mentioned your captions are humorous and you share like funny pictures of the kids have you ever shared anything about your own mental health on there um so i think in underlying in some of the context that i write about i do talk about stresses of 
being a parent, I, I think I'm relatively lucky that I have a, a huge amount of patience. I don't know if I was born with it. I don't know if I've developed it over time. But I'm not, if I think about my relationship um, in my family, Clemmy is the one that gets stressed. Whereas I'm very much more relaxed, laid back. And I think that is part of my character. I'm kind of of the opinion if, if it's not going to end up in someone getting injured or the house is going to fall apart, then it's okay. We can kind of work it out because in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. So I kind of take that ability to step back and think about things in a broader context. But I do talk about them in, in a lighthearted way. But there, there is a, there's a serious point under there. You probably just have to dig under the yeah. words to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> where my stresses are that's the positive side but obviously someone on your scale with almost you know as you said 850,000 followers yeah Instagram obviously is you know famous for the, the bad things that can happen on there and the, the trolling and the kind of bitchy side of it all so this has been written about recently and I don't know why it occurs women tend to be meaner to women and I don't know why it is I don't know if it's a yeah. schoolyard mentality being a being a boy growing up, if you had an argument with a kid, with another boy, you'd kick each other in the shins and then you play football together maybe two hours later. I think girls can be really quite emotionally mean to each other. And I'm, and I'm lucky that I don't experience that. I do get some comments, but I have a thicker skin and I'm, I can di dismiss them more easily. Whereas with Femi, I know it's affected her quite badly if someone left you a negative comment would you ignore it would you you're saying you've got a thick skin it, it completely depends on what the comment is if it is being rude to the point of being rude then i might delete it i might block the person if they've got zero followers and they're deliberately just trolling me for no reason yeah. but everyone is also entitled to their opinion right and i don't want to be um censoring what it's because it's supposed to be an open discussion forum where people can talk about things and from many of the comments where they've been worded in a in the right way but are suggesting advice on how i could do something or words that i can use then that's a learning experience for me but it comes down to the language that people use if it's very pointed and mean and just nasty then i'm more likely to be dismissive of it yeah. if it's making a genuine point that i can learn from then i will learn from it because this we are all learning on this platform there are no rules about how you do something how you structure it how you say certain things so it's it's feedback that you use to develop as you go forward I was at a um, talk the other day and it was Sprinkler Glitter was there mm -hmm. and we were talking about social media and negative feedback and trolling and things like that and she was saying it's your feed you know you manage your feed if yeah. you get negative feedback simply delete it block move on yeah that's easier said than done because like if someone you know is over the top or they're targeting your children or targeting your lifestyle or whatever I mean I, I'm obviously tiny compared to you but I you know take it to heart so yeah so uh uh, the thing is, I'm I'm comfortable with the choices that I've made. Okay. So, I know the choices that I've made, the decisions that I've made to get me here, and I'm okay with that because I know why I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's mainly to raise awareness of the fact that we are all going through the same struggles, to highlight the fact that you can laugh at yourself sometimes, and that laughing is the best medicine in some cases to be able to get you through the struggles of daily parenting stuff but I, i'm i'm on the fence about deleting comments i am blocking people i don't i don't like doing it but also that there is this weird phenomenon that i've seen that it's when you get to twenty thousand followers or something like that you have people that support you and that they will crowd around a negative comment and kill it but that in its 
that also can develop nasty comments. It becomes an argument, and then you become this school teacher in a playground trying to divide people. And it's like, where? What is my role in this situation? What am I supposed to do? Because this is supposed to be a collaborative platform where people can share stuff and be nice and just help work out problems and then it's turned into something else what's my role there and i'm still trying to figure that out sometimes i get a message to say why haven't you deleted that comment well because i've been bathing the kids i've got a life yeah. i've got stuff to do yeah. i don't just sit on my phone all day so Every, everything you do must be scrutinized every word you write every pitch you load yeah so um, but it must be challenging in itself but. If, if i didn't if i didn't have the thicker skin that i have now i think i would really struggle with it right but i've realized that it's it's okay to have an opinion if you voice it on, on my platform you can do that that's fine no problem but if it's controversial expect some backlash from other people because yeah. there are a lot of people out there who are going to see that comment so uh, i'm there are certain issues which i enjoy uh, or i'm pleased that i'm able to highlight like men's mental health which has been great and talking about frustrations of twin life and the fact that i'm just about to do a post about um traveling for work as well so there is this perception that i'm going on holiday for a couple of days i'm really not i'm there to work but I think that's another thing that dads and mums, that when they go away for work, they feel, one, they may have like abandoned their family a little bit and put pressure on their partner to pick up all the slack. But then you feel really guilty when you get back home and you've got to kind of put extra effort in to be the perfect parent when you come back. Yeah, I'm still trying to work that out because I need to earn my salary to pay for my family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. I shouldn't feel too guilty about going away because it's part of my job. So yeah, anyway, we'll see about how, where that goes this evening. <laughs> I might stir up a few comments. Now, before we came on, we were talking about previous experiences and you mentioned that your your mother was diagnosed with breast cancer in your teen years and yes. you didn't deal with it very well. No. Seeing someone you love go through a traumatic experience and not being able to do anything about it is hard for anyone. But being a teenage boy, my way of dealing with it was, was pretending that it didn't happen. Right. And I didn't acknowledge it at all, probably to my mother's detriment, because what she probably wanted was support. But I just didn't acknowledge it. And it was I, I, I would talk about it to friends just to say, oh, you know, mum's got breast cancer, but she's fine. I don't think I ever asked her how she was because it scared me that someone else was sick and that I couldn't do anything about it. How long was she sick for? So when did she? So this is pro probably about six to eight months, and then she obviously had uh, rehabilitation, and then she has um, tests every now and again. I can talk about it now, uh, and we and we talk about it openly. But even she acknowledges that you know I, I wasn't really there. So that's when you're a teenager. So but now as an adult, you speak about it openly. And yes, but you regret not being but there I, as a teenager. I think that I think that's emotional maturity. As you get older, you realise you can talk about stuff because it's actually a strength to be able to talk about stuff rather than a weakness. Whereas to me, to acknowledge something was not right, not perfect in my life, was a weakness, and, so, I, and I couldn't deal with that. So you didn't mention it at all. Not really. And I remember when my mum had had chemo and she, her hair had gone and she asked, do you want to see what I look like? And my brother and sister said yes. And I said no. And it was that if I acknowledge that it's real, in the same way that when Anya turned up, if I acknowledge that it's real, then I have to deal with it. By not acknowledging it, therefore there's nothing for me to deal with. Right. Which so is a really ludicrous way of thinking about things. But it was my way of coping and i wish i wish i'd had the strength of that age to be able to just be more human about it because that's why i stopped being i stopped being human i stopped being someone with emotions or feelings yeah uh, and that's not natural and not 
good for your mental health. So that's, it sounds like that's a trait of your younger life to just block it out, pretend it's not happening. Yeah. But now you wouldn't do that. If, if something went bad in your life now, you would deal with it openly. And So what I've realized is a problem aired is a problem shared. And talking to someone helps share that burden. You don't have to carry it on your shoulders on your own. Yeah. And being able to talk to someone, even if it's just for a five-minute chat, helps get it out of your head and just makes it a real thing that you can actually start to process, start to deal with. And much more people should do it. But we traditionally, men are rubbish at doing this. We don't talk about how we feel because it's not masculine. It's not strong. It's also really stupid if we don't do it. Like We're just storing stuff up that is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. And you have to acknowledge these things to be able to move past them. My own experience is I spent years of my 20s bottling it up and then just going out drinking and yeah. doing everything else because that's my way of dealing with it and I yeah. never really told anyone and then had a huge breakdown that's the worst thing I could have done men need to open up as you say yeah. and it's good that you recognise that Yeah, it's, it's amazing how it's now going that men are seeing it's okay to talk about things and hearing less of man up and things like that obviously you mentioned it in your your um, Insta stories about the support groups that are yeah. out there for men and the charity such a calm yeah so there's the, the dad network out there as well yeah. but I think a lot of these things are quite small organizations right so the best way to get help if you if you can't talk to someone you know sometimes it's easier to talk to someone you don't um, because they won't judge you you don't feel biased so just get on Google and just find the local support to you because it's, these support networks tend to be local and I came across some really good ones in Liverpool and Manchester like just groups for parents not just dads but to be able to talk about things openly um, so really just invest some time in one acknowledging that you are finding something difficult that you need to talk to someone about stuff and then two where is your local thing yeah and, and acknowledging that you have that problem and that there is a resource to help you yeah. the, the other one that is really critical especially if you're in a relationship and you've got children is talking to your partner 100%, right so yeah. if, if you if you don't feel like you can talk to them then that's something you need to overcome because the one person who can support you is the person who you are in this with right and so for me when the when i had anya the the biggest help was to be able to talk to clemmy and acknowledge that i'm struggling and then she told me that she was struggling as well yeah and we could support each other and, and you have to rely on that person who you're in this journey with because that person loves you they're not going to judge you yeah they're there to support you and you know through thick and thin they exactly. will help you and whether talking through or making a gp's appointment for you or putting you in touch with a charity or whatever it is yeah i think that's you know a huge step for people and i think one of the biggest concerns for me was when i I thought she was going to laugh at me or say, oh, come on, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get through it. You've got to realize that that person, as he said, loves you. Yeah. They're going to respect what you say. And it's not. they're not going to take it as a joke. And they will be able to help you. So take that step if you need to take it. Yeah. Simon, I think that's the perfect place to end on. Thank you so much for coming on Mantle. Good luck with your book. Thank you very much. Forever Outnumbered. Yes. Which is available now. No, thanks for having me on. Now, uh, let's finish this beer and uh, go and sit down in another room. Nice. <laughs> Cheers, Simon. Thanks Thank very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Man Talk. You can subscribe to the podcast on all the regular platforms to ensure you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to hear about my experiences with mental health, 
you can hear them on episode one, which is available now. Together, we can tackle men's mental health and help normalize the conversation. If you are suffering, please consider reaching out to a friend, a family member, a GP, or a charity such as Calm. Thanks again for listening, and take care.